Today's Your Stories is brought to you by Podcast Movement. Looking to start a podcast of your own? This year, Podcast Movement, the world's largest podcaster conference, will be in Chicago. Learn more at podcastmovement.com and use code CPC to save $30 off registration. Thanks, Podcast Movement. Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your Stories, to me, has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there, no questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story, and their story is your story, and then it's our story, and then it's a podcast, so it's everybody's story, and then you've shared it, and gosh, that's great, huh? And even if you don't think you're a nerd, you probably are. It's easily the most Midwestern thing I've ever been a part of. Hey everybody, I'm Eric Garneau, and this is part one of the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories podcast, talking about character generation, and featuring a very special, wonderful guest from the One Shot and Campaign podcast. Game Master and host James D'Amato brought a great crew from his shows to share their stories with us, and we peppered some of our own good friends into the mix. Uh, this episode, you'll hear from Cat Cool, Logan Dean, Courtney Crary, Liz Anderson, Brandon Kirkman, and James D'Amato himself, plus you'll get some music from me, Dwight Hassler, and Claire Friedman, including a bit of a tribute to the Thin White Duke. Uh, guys, we're doing two Your Stories this month, and the next one is this upcoming Saturday, the 23rd, when we have a very special show at the Chicago Design Museum, located inside Block 37 at 108 North State Street, downtown. Uh, you might remember we collaborated with the museum last year for our Discovery episode. Uh, well, this year we're doing it again, and this time we will be on their turf. Uh, it's going to be a really special night, so uh, don't miss it, guys. We kick off Saturday at 7 p.m. Tickets are $10. Proceeds are split between the Nerdalogs and the Design Museum, which is a wonderful nonprofit. Uh, I'd like to again thank our sponsors for this episode, Podcast Movement, as well as the whole Chicago Podcast Co-op. You can find other great co-op shows on iTunes, and while you're there, why not rate and review some of them? Uh, even ours, if you are so inclined. That really, really helps a ton. Um, that is all the plug stuff I have for today, guys. Thank you so much, and enjoy the episode.
Pet called Adventure. I like that song. And, uh, yeah, I like that too. And uh, yeah, that's for James and Cat and all you fine people. Who listens to One Shot here? <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, James, I know you weren't here for this, but in June we played uh, Lose Yourself and we dedicated that to you as well. Because if you had One Shot, etc., etc., <laughs> I don't know how the rest of that song goes. How is that not your theme song? Yeah, honestly, come on. Okay. All right. We should be running a podcast. <laughs> so, uh, the songs that we're playing tonight, except for that first one, these are all artists who kind of assumed uh, specific characters for the songs that we're going to play. Starting with one, I don't know, this group has been around a little bit. Yeah? They just came on Spotify. So that's pretty cool. Man. 
Thanks, guys. You ever hear that man before? Just in case anyone didn't catch that, the end of that is goo 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 choo goo goo juba 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 The amount of spit that was coming out of Claire's mouth it was just—it was insane. Isn't isn't John Lennon great, man? That, that is John being John for sure. It's so funny that that song is followed by uh, "Hello Goodbye," which is like those are like the, I feel like the two extremes of the Beatles is like. If you're gonna put this song on, I'm gonna put this yeah. On. And then later, I'm gonna write the worst Christmas song that has ever been written. That'll show you. <laughs> that I like it that that's how Paul McCartney talks, like a thug in a Warner Brothers cartoon. That'll show John. That'll show John. Anyway. Guys, this isn't just a podcast about our amazing bits, and I know they are amazing, but we have storytellers. Don't you dare cut this out. This I'm not, is part of the show. Oh, I'm not cutting it out. Oh, man. Uh, we got more stories, guys. Yeah, coming up first to the stage in this half, an integral part of the one-shot in Campaign Empire, Ms. Cat Cool. And this is one empire, by the way, that we do not hate. Huh. Yeah. One of the few. Hey, heroes. There's this thing in tabletop character generation that I completely despise. In an attempt to get people to play characters with complex backstories, different systems require you to choose a number of things that they'll call either backgrounds or hooks that amount to more or less the following. A concept. Storyteller. A minor mechanical bonus. Plus two to situational knowledge checks. An unimaginative write-up meant to spark your imagination. In your youth... You traveled a lot. You have seen many lands, and you have stories to tell from each of them. This latter write-up is the thing that kills me. I feel like they tend to fall flat as tools that aid imaginative discovery. Discovery, Like, let's dig dig in hmm, on Storyteller. You traveled a lot in your youth. You have seen many lands, and you have stories to tell from each of them. Well, many people travel, and storytelling isn't always the end result. No. If you're someone who tells stories, you do that regardless of the amount you've traveled. There's nothing inherent to experience acquisition that makes people more likely to moralize and gussy up aspects of their life into audible entertainment. You don't don't tell stories because you know things. Then why do you? Why is this a defining, important element to your character? Uh, This doesn't even ask the question. That's what's lacking to me about these background write-ups. They don't tell you anything about why your character behaves the way he or she does. If anything, they restrict the narrative, limiting people's ideas of storytellers to worldly folks who won't shut up about meals they once had in a variation of the same too precious cafe. (laughs) And that is boring to me. I'm a professional storyteller. It's kind of weird to say because what I actually mostly do is uh, GM a Star Wars tabletop game for a few of my sillier friends. We record it, people listen, and somehow it's become a job. Uh, But I think I'd have wound up professionally telling stories in one way or another anyway. And here is why. Uh, I was 12 when I first found out about Victorian midsummer celebrations. I read about them in an etiquette book at my grandmother's and was instantly enchanted. Basically... If you were a kid growing up in England in the 1800s, on June 21st, you probably baked a cake and left it out for the fair folk. 
The veil between worlds is thin during the summer solstice, and fae require a tithing to keep them from stealing babies. <laughs> if you give them a present, though, they will not just not steal your baby, but they will honor you with a boon. So bake, a leave, bake and leave a cake out overnight and get a small present from a fairy in the morning. That's not an uncommon holiday setup, but it has the word fairy attached, so 12-year-old me was instantly obsessed with sparking the tradition in my own household. Uh, I got a copy of Midsummer Night's Dream from my local library and memorized and performed chunks of it solo on repeat. Uh, I made lists of food ingredients that the cryptids and spookums native to Bel Air, Maryland would particularly enjoy. And I generally whipped my uh, six-year-old younger brother, Danny, into a frenzy about the possibility of receiving an actually magical boon. Now, uh, that's obnoxious, excitable, typical kid stuff. Not that different from my usual buffoonery. Especially because this was a holiday in the Murphy household. My mom loves holidays. She has decorations for even the dumbest of them. And I don't want to get too into this, but, like, during Christmas, we had 15-foot trees. Holidays were an excuse to let magic into our home. So, I don't think my mom's calm but insistent, fairies aren't real, registered at first. It just didn't make sense. Anytime I'd start in on the holiday explaining the difference between leprechauns and clericons to Danny, subtle hints at what a boon might entail, anything, she'd calmly reiterate, fairies aren't real. The night of, Danny and I made our cake. We put it out by the old willow tree and the mesh cloche we decorated for the occasion. We watched Fern Gully, and then I tucked him in. <laughs> Fairies aren't real. I set an alarm for 5 a.m. If I were to write a blurb for the storyteller background, it would read as follows. <clears throat> storyteller, plus two to situational knowledge checks. In your youth, on a humid June morning, you snuck past your sleeping little brother's room out to the old willow tree. You cried because magic wasn't real for you anymore. Not like magic magic. Because you didn't believe in fairies, but the magic that exists year in and year out when a tiny, beautiful woman with a penchant for Christmas lights sneaks treats and baubles into your life under the guise of some anthropomorphic personification in order to show you that she loves you and that some ideas are worth upholding even when you know that they are lies. And then after a while, you stop crying. You take the cloche off the cake and made the thing look eaten. You found a rock with a hole inside and a few crow feathers and you pulled the, the ribbon off of the cloche and smoothed it out and folded it up and put the gifts on top of it next to the cake. And then you snuck back past Danny's room, cleaned yourself up, and got back into bed. When he woke up, you went out with him to the old willow tree and pretended to be excited. His eyes lit up with Christmas lights because magic was real. And you were suddenly shocked to find that it was again for you too. That the experience works from either side of the fence, and if you lie well enough... You get to watch people's eyes lit up with Christmas lights. Light up with Christmas lights. This is a podcast. <laughs> you get to make magic. And you never stop. Thank you.
Fantastic kickoff to part two of your stories. We're going to keep it rolling with a good friend of the group. This is the, the creator and host and producer of the show below, Logan Dean. Yeah. And Logan, you can hug me and stuff. Oh, I can hug you and yeah. stuff? Yeah, oh, but you can't kiss me. Baby. It's not cool. Oh. I gave him a Hershey kiss earlier because he never lets me kiss him. Um, I'm going to start by reading from Scripture. <laughs> The power of creating worlds, controlling deities and dragons, and leading entire nations is in your hands. You are the master of the game, the rules, the setting, the action, and ultimately the fun. This is a great deal of power. Use it wisely. This book will show you how. The first time I read those words were from this very book, this very copy. When I was 12 years old, Standing in a B. Dalton, having the mind blown out of the back of my fucking head. <laughs> it was around December 2000, and I was Christmas shopping, and uh, I'd been given a crisp $20 bill to spend on whatever I wanted in B. Dalton books, which was my all-time favorite store. Uh, I'm going to do a little... Uh, Explaining for the podcast audience, I'm holding the third edition Dungeons and Dragons Dungeons Master's Guide. It's a blue book, large in scale, with a keyhole right in the middle of it. This book brought countless dreams to life in the fact that it made me know how to create them, make them real. On the back of the book is a key inscribed into the into the actual cover. It looks cool as shit. <laughs> like, as a 12-year-old boy walking into a fucking bookstore, this is what you're going to pick up. I've talked on the podcast before about how, like, the mid and late 90s were, like, the coolest time to be alive. Uh, <laughs> mostly because 80s kids were growing up and you got all their cool shit for really cheap. Uh, like, I used to go buy... Uh, G.I. Joe's at yard sales for like a dollar a pop. Yeah, they didn't wear it in boxes, but I could fucking play with them. Like, that was the point. When I was seven uh, in 1995, I uh, spent $3 on a beat-to-shit copy of Hero Quest, um, which is, to this day, my favorite board game, and that is my first role-playing experience ever. In the game, you play as a wizard or a barbarian, an elf or a dwarf, races, not classes, but well, it's okay. Um, and one player plays as a DM. I still have that copy of HeroQuest, and I'm always looking to put it back together because it was missing a lot of pieces. But it was that type of storytelling that really got me out of my comfort zone. Um, I was what most people nowadays call an indoor kid. Um, in that I spent a lot of time watching In Search Of, hosted by Leonard Nimoy, and I, um, I really liked the Discovery Channel before it was all World War II documentaries, um, and kids sometimes threw rocks at me. One time a shoe. Um, I don't know why you need that, fucker. Um, it's like, I won that one. But... Uh, <laughs> It was it was games like that. My brother and I would play them, and uh, some of the neighborhood kids were who were shittier. Uh, but 
we would play these games and be out of our heads and be out of our comfort zones. And it was those things that really lit up my imagination and let me know that there were places I could go in my own head that were better than where I was. It wasn't that my life was shitty and it wasn't that my family was terrible because they're not. They're awesome. They're probably going to listen to this. So you're great. Please don't disown me. Um, (laughs) It was just that I was alone and it made me feel not alone. When I read those words in this book, it made me want to get out of that comfort zone of my aloneness and find other people to share it with. And it was those words, uh, specifically the words, this is a great deal of power, use it wisely, which resonate with me to this day as someone who tells stories and jokes and makes things, uh, not really for a living because it doesn't really pay very well, but... (laughs) As a hobby and as something, as a passion, that's the word. Thanks, Eric. Uh, as a passion that makes it all worthwhile. So, yeah, you have that power. Use it wisely. Thanks. Thank you, Logan. Logan, usually I, I host the show, like I sit in your seat and I come from that side. You got me all thrown off tonight. What's going on? What are you doing? But I do want to say, B. Dalton is for sure, like, it's cooler than Walden books, right? Like, my mom had both and I always oh, spent more. Totally I don't know why, but B. Dalton is just so much sweeter. They that stupid sign. B. Dalton was cursive. Yeah, that's true. Cursive's legit. That's how you know they were for real. Yeah. None of that backlit white bullshit. Anyway, guys, coming up next to the stage, Miss Courtney Crary. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I have paper, too, so no worries. Uh, When I was much younger, I was obsessed with X-Men, the comic books, movies, animated TV show. Once I found out what it was, I devoured everything I could. And as most children might do, I tried to piece together the perfect X-Men character. At church one Sunday, all the kids planted uh, potted plants in little decorated pots, and I'm sure it had to do with Jesus nurturing us or something, but... I loved my plant. I did a really good job of taking care of it. People would come over to the house and say, oh, the flower, it's so pretty, and would comment on me having a green thumb. Um, And my young mind thought, this must have significance. (laughs) I must be so good at plants, much better than anyone. So I began to develop the perfect mutant superhero character based on that. Her name would be Eve, and she'd have complete control over all plant life. Eve could converse with plants and make them do her bidding, but she could also find out secrets from them um, or, like, detective leads or something. Uh, she could harden her skin to bark, and she could shoot thorns out of her hands and regrow limbs if she lost them in battle. She was, like, the ultimate badass. I was so excited about this character, so I had to share my idea with family and friends only to be brutally made fun of. Brutally. They kept saying, she's a low-rent poison ivy. This is not original, Courtney. Um, They told me she's Aquaman, but with foliage. Aquaman sucks. They ripped her to to shreds, especially my two older brothers. Um, So I stopped sharing my character with others, and I left the adventures of Eve, the garden wielder, uh, to play out within my own mind. 
Um, luckily for my bruised ego, I found out my actual superpower in college. I truly believe everyone has something they are particularly good at at almost a superhuman level. Like, if you had to challenge the devil to something for your soul, what would you personally choose to do that you could beat the devil at? I am very, very good at catching vomit. <laughs> My junior year in college, a friend hosted a make-your-own-pizza night at her apartment, and we ate lots of pizza, we drank to excess, and towards the end of the party, my friend Rebecca was sitting on the couch, not looking so good. Another girl was rubbing her back and asking if she needed water, but her face, her face was, was saying something very wrong was about to happen. I ran to the kitchen, I threw open the cupboard, grabbed a saucepan, and was about to, and I dove over the coffee table just in time to catch the red liquid spewing out of her mouth. (laughs) Right before anything hit the white couch and rug beneath her, Rebecca filled that saucepan to the brim. And I caught every last drop. Uh, For two Halloweens in a row, I saved my friend Tracy from getting an expensive fine in the backseat of a taxi. The first year, we were party hopping, and I brought a pillowcase to keep candy in like you do on Halloween. I realized just in time that she was going to vomit, and I shoved my pillowcase around her head like a horse's feed bag. (laughs) And uh, once she was done, I put a knot in the top, and I threw it out the window of the moving car. Uh, The next Halloween, I unfortunately did not have a disposable vomit receptacle, so... Uh, when I, I could tell she was about to blow, I threw open the door at a red light and shoved her face as close to the curb as I possibly could. And not a drop got in the taxi. Not a drop. So that brings us to, uh, this most recent New Year's when, when yet again the barf bad, the barf bag bat signal was lit and I was called upon to use my powers for good. I stopped by a theater to see a few friends at a party, and I noticed a girl totally passed out in her seat. Uh, it turns out Christina, was her name, was from Washington State, and she only knew one person in Chicago who unfortunately had been taken away in an ambulance for, with alcohol poisoning. Yeah. Not wanting to leave her alone, obviously, and not knowing what else to do, I decided she could come home and pass out on my couch. A few friends and I gave her as much water as we could. We helped her throw up in a trash can as much as she could. And then came the greatest test of my abilities. (laughs) The dreaded price-surged Uber ride back home. I told the driver right away to step on it, and I assured him he would not need to clean out his car at the end of the night, for I was an expert. (laughs) Uh, anytime I started he- hearing a little gurgle, a little burp, or a difficult hiccup, I held my hand up to Christina's lips very gently and coached her to take a deep breath with me. It was yoga breaths all the way back to my place, and by God, we made it. I might not be as badass as my perfectly developed X-Men character Eve, but I know my strengths. Anytime there's a drunk girl in need of a vomit bag, I will be there. Anytime there's a cab in danger of being soiled, I will be there. With great power comes great responsibility, and I plan on using my power to help friend and stranger alike for as long as they'll have me. Thank you. Thank you, Courtney. Let's all take a moment to salute the true heroes.
We may not have a Wolverine or a Jubilee, but we do have a Courtney Craig. That's wonderful. Coming up next to the stage from One Shot, Liz. Oh my God! Wait, hold on, I, Anderson. I thought it was Anderson. I'm like, wait, no, I have a friend named Liz Anderson. It can't be right. Let, let me do that one more time. From One Shot, Liz Anderson. Uh, if we're going to talk about how many Liz's and Liz's and Lizzie's are in Chicago, we're going to be here for fucking ever. <laughs> Can I use this? Can I use this? Or yeah. I don't know about you, but I'm here for Alex Manish origin stories, so <laughs> it's been a good night for me. Um, so... Thank you. First of all, thank you to James for and Kat for enveloping me in your uh, magical wonderland. I had never played an RPG since I think about six months ago, and in the process, I've realized oh, there's an entire world of stuff that I didn't even know. So it's been very cool, and thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I'm originally from Florida. If you can tell by the fact that I no longer live in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> I do love my home state, and like many states, we all have to suffer through our stereotypes. One of the most present and infinitely repeatable memes out there is called the Florida Man. Uh, It's a catch-all for any criminal caught doing something particularly crazy, mean, or (laughs) meth-fueled. What people don't understand about the myth of the Florida Man is that Florida is the place where people go to start their second lives. Uh, in their first lives, there's something that they want to forget, slash run away from, slash do arson to. <laughs> and Florida is about the furthest away you can get without a passport. And so they come here. They set up shop, get normal jobs at normal car dealerships, make normal friends, buy normal houses, go home at the normal end of the day where they get arrested for getting their penises stuck in the chain link fence of a Montessori school. <laughs> This is a story about second lives. The first time I got my heart broken, it was not by a boy. It was by a band, a marching band. In my junior year of high school, there was absolutely nothing I wanted more than to be the drum major of the Gulf Coast High School marching band. That's where I went. That would be weird if I didn't. Um, <laughs> uh, see, at my school, the food, the food chain was kind of a bit inverted. The marching band was actually the cool thing to do. They were at, like, this... Uh, uh, it was the swirling mass of, like, cool, hip kids. There was, like, 300-plus students in the marching band. And at the top of that were the drum majors. They were the best. They were popular, they were respected, and they got to wear these fucking killer sequin dresses and high-heeled boots. It was amazing. Uh, And I wanted it so bad. And guys, I was so good at it. I was so good. To this day, I still remember my conducting routines and even the triplet part of School's Out for Summer. Oh, there's a triplet in it. Listen to it again. Uh, uh, I had been woodwind captain the year before, one of the youngest ever. I had a 5.2 GPA. That shit was mine to lose. So the day of the auditions came. Uh, it was a May afternoon after school. The panel was two former drum majors, a few officers, some of the band staff, and our band director's wife and our band director, Mr. H., uh, a little bit of background background about Mr. H. He was the prototypical cool teacher. 
the popularity of the band had a lot to do with him as a director, and that's why he, because he was a genuinely nice guy. Miss, uh, Mrs. H, his wife, I had never had that much of a rapport with. Uh, which is why it was strange when during the question and answer portion of the audition, she asked me the following question. Now, some officers have come up to us to say that your discipline style can sometimes come across as mean. What do you have to say about that? Now, that was out of nowhere. Uh, I had never really considered it. Like, mean? Who was calling me mean? Was this coming from her? Or had Mr. H asked her to ask me that so he wouldn't have to ask it? So I gave her kind of a flailing response about authority and working as a team and kind of left it at that. So there's not a whole much, a whole lot left to that story. Of course, I did not get drum major. I wept like a fucking schoolgirl on in front of my peers at our end of the year band banquet, which was in front of like a huge auditorium of people. Uh, and in the coming year, I filled that space with other things like drama club and boyfriends. <laughs> but through my senior year, I could not stop thinking about that question Mrs. H had said. I mean, mean? Was I mean? And the more I thought about it, the more I realized, yeah. <laughs> so throughout the course of my high school career, I've been creating this narrative for myself as this beleaguered nerd. I, I didn't have a lot of friends, but that's because I was quiet and introverted, like a beautiful baby bird wrapped in a cocoon of silk and star beams. <laughs> but in reality, I was a asshole. Here's a few asshole things I did in high school. In sophomore year, I was obsessed with Catcher in the Rye. <laughs> and I would get into arguments with people after class about what they didn't get about what Holden Caulfield was trying to do. In junior year, a bunch of people got mad at me because uh, during our end-of-the-year research presentations, which, by the way, we were doing as a competition for scholarship money, uh, I during the presentations, I asked them a bunch of questions deliberately trying to poke holes in their research. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, third, incidentally, for that competition specifically, I wrote a paper about how intelligent design was right. Oh. <laughs> All right. <laughs> So coming to terms with my assholery has been a very important part of my growth as a person. So each year I develop more in empathy and I realize, oh, fuck me, I was awful. Uh, because the world gets bigger and scarier the longer that you're in it. So in this couple years post-grad and in college and in post-college, I've attempted to shove off the Florida girl that I used to be, and I hope to be able to grow into the nice, kind Florida woman that we'd all like me to be. <laughs> um, on a side note, during my sophomore year in college, I got an email from my mom with just a link to a newspaper article attached from the Naples Daily News, my hometown paper. I opened up the link to read the headline. Gulf Coast High School Band Director Charged with Having Sex with Student Bond Set $175,000. I remember skimming the details in the body. Affair with a freshman student. Engaged with sec at, sex at the school. Told the victim he would commit suicide before going to jail. Over the next few years, other band alums and I would go on to read other headlines. 
Gulf Coast band director pushed out a former California job due to deficiencies. Embattled band director had affair with student, his current wife, and former drum major. April 2011, former band director found guilty, sentenced to 30 years in prison. In 2013, Collier County denied Mr. H a request for a new trial, and that's the last that we've heard from him. Turns out there are worse things than being mean. <laughs> Thank you, Liz Anderson. Anderson, I think, one more time. You know what, Liz? I, I will go and listen to Schools Out again. I, I will take that challenge. It's a fucking triplet. I, be- I believe that there's many. I believe you. I love Alice Cooper, y'all. All right, guys, we have two more speakers tonight coming up next to the stage. Chicago stand-up comedian Brandon Kirkman. Just to uh, solidify that, I will be the one that takes up the mic when there's no amplification. Uh, just because it feels right. And also shout out to Liz for having the catch in the rye part where everybody laughed because I distinctly remember in college I'd have a conversation with people every now and then be like, oh, my favorite book, Atlas Shrugged, and I'd be like, well, I'm done here. <laughs> that is all I need to know. Um, but I got really excited for the subject and I was glad to be part of the show because I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons and generating characters since middle school. I actually came from a D&D session today and I feel like it really helps me a lot because I like to play characters that are a little more brash and I'd say more rude to people because I work in the service industry and I can't go, oh no, fuck you, all day. <laughs> so this character helps me get there. Like The perfect example of this is we were in a fight with the Dryder and I'd found a staff of his and he's like, where did you find that staff? I'm like, like, well, actually, I found it on the ground because I banged your mother so hard it fell out of vagina. <laughs> and then the drider proceeded to attack me the whole uh, fight, I'd say, because he had good he had good reason after that. <laughs> um, but I want to talk about my own character generation, which is dumb, horny idiot. Because um, I got into D&D and role-playing in middle school at the same time I was going through puberty. So a lot of weird things were happening. And I could not get enough of role-playing in any form. And I think the highlight of the weirdness of this was that uh, I discovered about around 2000 the Yahoo chat rooms for anime. Um, if you're not familiar with this, it's about to get really good, guys. Buckle, in those, <laughs> buckle up for this. Uh, but basically, people would go there to roleplay as anime characters to explain this. If you ever watched Dragon Ball Z and you said, man, I want to go online and type into a chat room, hello, I'm Goku from Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> This was, yeah, this is where you would go. Uh, but the thing I'm mentioning, why this was so weird, and I, I feel like I need to tone for this, and the, the weird horny part put into it is, I would go on there and role play as an anime schoolgirl to fuck with people. But it gets worse. During the conversation, I had slowly revealed that I was secretly a killer robot. It's it's pretty bad. It would start off kind of normal in the conversation. I'd flirt with them a little bit. They'd flirt back at me, and we'd start private messaging each other. And be like, do you like my cute little schoolgirl outfit? Beep, boop. <laughs> and uh, at this point, they would notice something, and they'd type to me. Uh, that's kind of weird. Why'd you say that? Just, you know, just saying normal human things, you know? <laughs> like you do, but don't you find me attractive? And then I type, I start to vibrate as screws fall out of my mouth. And they'd be like, wait, why are you typing that? I'm like, oh, just doing normal human things like normal humans. And at this point, I type that my mouth turns into a razor-sharp blender as I say, would you like the blowjob of your lifetime? 
everyone would disconnect at this point specifically. And I did this ten times. It was always this, this point is where they would stop. And I feel like my atonement and why I'm coming on stage to, to get, like, I'd say my character more fully developed is because I'd be making fun of these people and it wasn't right. They were just enjoying themselves. But here's something that I did once. I started just getting on the, like, rooms by myself and just texting people as myself and I hit it off with a girl. And, uh, things escalated and we were soon, sir, like, having cyber sex. As one is to, before, you know, sexting and all that. Um, and I was getting really into it. And she's like, hey, I want to see your dick. Guys, this was 2000. I did not have a digital camera. We did not mostly have digital cameras then. What I did have was a low-resolution flatbed scanner. (laughs) (laughs) I love that we're connecting the dots so hard that your eyes almost just shot out of your head. I sent that picture off. I got that big bad boy scanned in at 15 years old, sent it off to them, and to this day, that picture is on my family computer, rotting away in a Midwestern landfill somewhere. (laughs) And I like to think of myself as the pioneer of dick pics. (laughs) Like, I saw that that scanner, and I saw it as the Oregon Trail, and I was down to game. And let me tell you, I whispered myself manifest destiny, and I put that 15-year-old penis in there, and... God bless that computer. It's right away with that on there somewhere, guys. Enjoy your evening. Don't think about it too much. Great apartment, everybody. Oh, oh boy. Man, I don't know what to say to that. Thank you, Brandon. Holy shit. Because we have one more storyteller tonight. This next gentleman coming to the stage. So fun fact, he did our final show of 2014, and he's doing our first show of 2016. He missed an entire calendar year, and boy, did we miss him. This is James D'Amato. Hello, heroes. Uh, first of all, thanks everybody for coming out, especially uh, the people who are involved in the network who got up on stage. And I'm learning from many of you were terrified to do that. Guys, you're performers. Come on. Uh, thank you guys sincerely for being here. Um, fuck you, JPC, for not being here. Uh, yeah, I have to. Contractually obligated to mention him. He's signed a weird contract uh guys today i am known to folks in the rpg community as someone who will play or read just about any game and while technically you could call someone with a variety of tastes and interests as a renaissance man i vastly prefer the term that jason morningstar created to describe this behavior filthy trash-eating crow And I wear my trash bird badge with pride. (laughs) However, there was a time where I was a hideous power gamer who refused to play anything but Dungeons & Dragons 3.5. I would spend countless hours that a reasonable person would have dedicated to studying, sleeping, or kissing people, (laughs) pouring through rule books, searching for the proper combinations of spells, feats, and equipment that would turn my character into an unstoppable killing machine. From the moment classes ended to the moment it became physically impossible to form rational thoughts, I would strive to craft 
the perfect protagonist. Dedicating over 20 hours of your life to the birth of a fictional person who you may or may not be able to portray, depending on the ability of the least dependable people that you know to meet for over four hours on a weekend. (laughs) That might seem crazy. And that's probably because it is crazy. But I also happen to know that having the right ability at the right time can be the difference between life and death. Two years ago, I was at a turning point. I had just started a new job as a temp, and I knew that I was doing temp work because I had never put any effort into into developing skills needed to get a real job. And I was dreading calls from my parents, who are two people that I love, and who are mostly supportive, but they were also, at the time, delicately asking me when I would know it was time to give up. And I asked myself that question a lot of the time in private. And I was asking myself this question while refreshing my email, waiting for audition results from a major improv theater's Herald's Team program. (laughs) No. I don't know if any of you have ever done a Herald audition. I know some of you have. Uh, But the system is sadistic. They send emails only to the students who have passed their audition. And at least when I was going, there was only a soft date for announcing these results. Meaning after my audition, there was a period where I did not know if I had already failed. Every moment that I didn't see an email, uh, I was standing between a massive rejection and heart-wrenching paranoia. Uh, since failed auditioners don't get a rejection email, the way you find out is by seeing your friends and classmates congratulating each other on social media. <laughs> and as far as I can tell, these emails don't all go out at the same time either. Perfecting the perverse mind game that is the audition process, it's not a single sting of rejection. It is a slow, torturous realization that one of those emails is not coming for you. Now, Missing a Herald Spot is not necessarily a dream-murdering tragedy. It means that you can either re-enlist in classes to try again or skip classes altogether and go to an open audition. People fail and retry all the time. What makes auditions important is affirmation. Passing an audition means someone else is telling you that you aren't doing something stupid. To someone who spent years struggling to pay bills, dropping hundreds of dollars on classes, uh, that can mean the world. Uh, Looking at my Facebook feed, seeing my friends celebrate their richly deserved success, it was a struggle to stay positive. Those two play so well together. They would have been idiots not to cast him. And she is so friendly and talented, she deserves this more than anyone. Mythologizing my friends only lasted so long before I turned to explaining my own failures. You never made real connections with people in your class because you were egotistical and unlikable. (laughs) There is no obvious reason anyone would want you on their stage. You have spent years convincing yourself that you are capable of something that you are not. It has brought, it has only brought pain to you and the people who care about you. And when I came to that slow, horrible realization that I was not picked, uh, for that audition, I wanted to give up. For the first time 
it felt like success was not worth the price of failure. I had spent my time and money and strained relationships to a breaking point and spent countless hours chastising myself for not being good enough. I was just tired. For a brief moment, I told myself the story of a pathetic narcissist who wasted love, luck, and privilege chasing a ludicrous dream. Now, anyone familiar with my work knows that I don't enjoy telling stories like that. I prefer stories about heroes who are brave beyond reason, devastatingly clever men and women who do the right thing despite numerous personal flaws, and odd families of wandering outcasts who overcome insurmountable odds through love and friendship, with a borderline illegal amount of puns, and maybe just a little kissing. <laughs> I was reminded that of that in my moment of despair because on the playlist of songs that I had downloaded to fill time between podcasts and audiobooks at work, I had downloaded Adventure by Be Your Own Pet. The stories I tell with my friends on One Shot are far from works of narrative genius. They are often simple, inelegant, and unquestionably silly, but they are stories that I love. At the time, One Shot was a fraction of what it is today. We had less than a twentieth of the listeners that we do now. There was no money or any chance of fame, no promise of a stable future, but it was, it was what I wanted to do. And unlike the art form I had given my heart to, it was a space where people seemed to want me. Beneath the impending depression uh, that accompanies failure, I found some hope. And perhaps, if I was willing to roll the dice on another crazy dream, I might be able to build something that I truly loved. And I don't know what player out in the cosmic reaches of our universe spent their weekend flipping through sourcebooks to find the theme song feat, which grants a character an ability to re-roll will saves against despair, but I can assure you it was time well spent. This of course, is not the end of the story. There are innumerable challenges to face as the owner of a small business in an industry that could be generously described as merely mostly unreliable. <laughs> Yet standing here in a room full of amazing individuals who have added their talents to the show, uh, who I am very privileged to call friends, I know that I am not alone. My party is strong. I know we will face doubt, failure, and countless other psychological perils. But it's cool, you know, because we're like adventurers. Thank you. Thank you, James D'Amato. Yeah. Thanks, man. God. James just outside. Man, James is one of the heroes of the Chicago podcasting scene. The, oh, what you've done with uh, with One Shot and Campaign, it's so amazing. It is a model to all of us who are trying to make this work. Uh, on that topic, we should all give a big hand to Claire Friedman, the, who uh, heads the Chicago Podcast Co-op, who also helps, helps us do what we do. Uh, we got one more song. We were going to do this song anyway. This song was 100% on the list. But then Monday happened. If there's an artist who has generated characters time and again, so much so that maybe he lost his own persona from time to time. It's, uh, it's this guy. And we love him. But the music was on, man. Rock and roll. 
ground control to major tone. Ground control to major tone. Take your protein pills and put your helmet on. Ten. Ground control Nine. to major tone. Seven. Six. Commencing countdown engines on. Three. Two. Check ignition. One. May God's love be with you. This is ground control to Major Tom. You really made the grain. And the papers want to know whose shirt you wear. Now it's time to Stories is a proud part of the Chicago Podcast Co-op. If you enjoy your stories, you might also like Alka Hollywood. Clint, Jared, and a guest talk about one movie each week, old or new, good or bad, and create a custom cocktail and drinking game around that movie. For more information, go to alkahollywood.com. This has been a Nerdalogs production. For more on the Nerdalogs and our shows, please go to www.nerdalogs.com.
Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548x.